John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had come not and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and both hated me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in their law, they hated me without cause. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And also you shall bear witness, because you have seen, or you have been with me from the beginning. Not too long ago, the month of June was known for uh, cookouts and summer vacation, weddings, Father's Day. Now it's all rainbows all the time, and, and promoting sin and pushing sin down people's throat. It went real quick from what we do in private, it's none of your business, to you will not only accept us, but you will celebrate um, wickedness. Parents who are concerned about their kids are called monsters, but school systems all over the country are indoctrinating kids, kids into a perverse lifestyle. I don't know how many stories I've seen just in the last couple of weeks of school systems and library systems not only uh, promoting this, but indoctrinating kids into, um, into gender ideas. We're talking about kids as young as five years old. have no business even knowing about these things. They should, these things should be ashamed of, but they're being taught to children. WCHS had a story um, not too long ago that said 59% of Americans said that kids should, should not choose their own gender or use preferred pronouns. 59% said that. So you know what that means. That means 41% of Americans think, number one, that it's possible to choose your own gender, and number two, kids should be able to say they're boys when they're girls and vice versa. That 41% of the people in our country think a six-year-old boy has the mental ability and capacity and understanding to be able to say, well, I want to surgically and permanently alter my body uh, because... I think I'm, I'm a girl on the inside. I mean, that, that's just a, a mind-boggling to me that this is, this is not only acceptable, but allowed. I mean, that's just a, an indoctrination camp that they have uh, that, you know, the, the, that's what the school system is. And, and it's just mind-boggling that, that what you know, people should be thrown in prison for that kind of kind of thing, but now it's being tolerated and celebrated. Once A once conservative publishing company that produces Bible books had a, uh, an advertisement out, books to read for pride. The United Methodist Church ordained a transvestite pastor. Catholic priests have encouraged churches to celebrate pride month. 
Baptist Church in Pennsylvania opened up an LGB uh, center that creates and provides advocacy support to the community, allies, with the goal that we might live a life of fulfillment, inclusion, and celebration. There's a hymn, that, the Hymn Society just published a hymn called Songs for Others, or Songs for the Other, which is a pro-homosexual hymnal that has hymns to be sang in church about homosexuality. All those things that I just read happened this week. This was not a collection of things that have been happening over the last six years. This all happened this week. And there was a lot more that I just, I just had to stop reading the, the news site. They've taken the rainbow, which is a token of God's covenant that he wouldn't destroy the world. Back in Noah's day, when every imagination, the imagination of every man was on evil continually, God punished this world by destroying everything in it, except for Noah and his family and those animals on the ark. And God said that I'm going to make a covenant with you that I won't do this again with water. But there'll be a, a sign of this covenant, which is the rainbow, a reminder of God's forbearance, his holiness, his faithfulness, and his mercy. And so the world takes that token of God's forbearance and holiness and his mercy and his steadfast um, commitment to his own word. And they've taken that and they've, they've twisted it into a symbol for an abomination. It is an abomin abominable act, the the Bible tells us that it is an abomination. The Bible tells us an abomination for a man to, to wear the things of a woman and a woman to wear the things of a man. That's an abomination. God hates it. It, it is wicked. But they take a symbol of holiness and apply it to a symbol of an abomination and say, now you must bow down to that. You must celebrate this. Well, it's not just this one group of people, and, and that's not really what I'm preaching on, but the question is why? Why does this happen? How can a whole society change what is acceptable and right seemingly overnight? How does that happen? How does it happen that the same group of people, we're all living on this same planet together. And 20 years ago, everyone would say, well, marriage is between a man and a woman. And now the same, you know, the same people on the same planet say, well, we can't even tell what a woman is, let alone that marriage should be defined between a man and a woman. What happened? How, how does this happen? Well, it's, not, it's because they hate God. It is because the natural man hates the things of God. It's not always an act of hatred and persecution. Sometimes it's eye rolls. Sometimes it's ignoring. Sometimes it's mocking and taking cheap shots. Sometimes it's just doing everything to, to, to close their ears and their eyes and their minds to the truth. But it is ultimately a hatred of the Lord God. And it's not just one group of people, but to be carnally minded, the Bible says, is death. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Why? Because it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The carnal mind, the natural mind, is contrary to the things of God. That is the default position. Now, that doesn't mean all people are actively persecutors or all people would even uh, say, well, I hate Jesus, but it's just they, they could care less. And as long 
as society goes a particular way, they'll go that way with society. So what you have is when God gives a people over to their reprobate mind and the dark things start to become acceptable, well, people who don't love the Lord Jesus and don't love his word and are living in a carnal mind just keep going along with the flow. And they're not grounded to any truth. They're not grounded to a love of God. They're not grounded to a love of his commandments. They just do whatever everybody else is doing. And as long as it's acceptable in society then that is their judge. And so, what's right and wrong? Well, whatever the government tells us is right and wrong. If I get thrown in jail for doing it, it must be wrong. And if the government lets me do it, then it must be right. So, now that uh, drugs is becoming acceptable, and now you can go down the gas station and, and buy drugs, then it's going to become acceptable. And then you ask somebody, was well, it wrong to, to, to smoke marijuana? Well, no, it's not wrong because the government says it's okay to. Never mind what the Bible says about drunkenness. You know, that applies to, to drugs, uh, the, the drunkenness, the, the state of being inebriated, that applies to, to drugs. So it doesn't matter what the, the, the law says, or it doesn't matter what the Bible says, as long as the government says it's okay, then people go along with it. Well, why is that? Because their heart is enmity against the law of God. They're not subject to the law of God. They don't care about the law of God. But I'm not here just to, this morning to beat up the world, but I'm trying to explain something. There's a reason why the world is the way that it is. There's a reason why what you could have gotten away with, what you could not have gotten away with 20 years ago, that you'd be thrown in jail for as a child predator, now is celebrated as a tolerant and affirming. It's because we're born into this world under the bondage of sin and Satan. We're born in the enemies of goodness and truth in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus shines the light on who and what we are. And by nature, we would just prefer to be left alone in darkness. And that's why there's extremes. There's What I've read today is an extreme but it's just an extreme of the same symptom that people would rather just God leave them alone. And they don't, want to, they don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to follow Jesus. They don't want to follow the word. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about the creator. I don't want to hear about his truth. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. And stop telling me what I'm doing is wrong. I had a family member that um, said that one time. He said, I don't care what the Bible says. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what God says. Well, that's a heart that's enmity. Now, this person is a very good person as far as you know, a neighborly goodness, as far as doing things for you. Everybody in here would love to have this person as a neighbor that do anything in the world for you. But that was just on how they were raised, has nothing to do with the, the truth of, of the Word of God. And whenever pushed about Christ, whenever pushed about the eternal truths, then they would rise up. They would actively oppose to these things. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what's going to happen to the disciples. Because he's, he told them there in, um, at the end of this, or towards the middle, in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had had no, not sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. 
If Jesus hadn't come, they would just kept on going through their motions of religion. Everything would just be fine. But when Jesus came, he shined the light. And the people don't like the light being shined on. And so what Jesus is doing is not just being a doom and gloom um, kind of uh, sermon here that the whole world is bad and, and we better start becoming preppers and just make, you know, hide and, and go away and, and, and batten down the hatchet. Jesus is telling some hard truth. He said, but I'm going to help you understand what's happening. For the rest of the lives of the disciples, they're going to face troubles and trials like they'd never known before. They went from being unknown, because in the book of Acts, when Peter started preaching, they said, well, who are these guys? I thought these were just ignorant fishermen. They, didn't, they had no power, they had no influence, they were just ordinary guys. And they went from being ordinary guys that they say, oh, aren't you the guys that followed after Jesus? Aren't you guys the ones that were always hanging around with him? To being hunted, to being persecuted, to having laws being passed against them, to being hunted down, to run out of their homes, to run out of their towns, and and to everybody but John, according to the traditions, died a martyr's death. Peter crucified. That's a big change. I mean, just think about, you know, everybody in here that, you know, we, we go about our business and, and people may know that, you know, people know who we are and know um, that we're Christians and so forth. But we're not harassed. We're not persecuted uh, per se. But imagine starting tomorrow that you go into clay and then you get arrested. And then they come to your house and they confiscate your vehicles because, and they, they, they start in this kind of thing, just overnight. Well, this is what's about to happen to the disciples. And so Jesus is going to explain to them why this is. He said, the world hates you, not because of you, but because you are not in them. The world hates you because you are not in the world. You are not in them, so they hate you. The world hates you because you are not in him, in Christ. They hate you for where you're not, but they hate you for where you are. And the world hates you because they just don't know God. So in verses 18 and 19, we're told that the world hates us because it hated Jesus first. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. So we're to love one another, but the world loves its own. Isn't that amazing when we think about this? And that's one reason why I wanted to preach this series of messages all together here on Sunday morning so we can kind of get the whole idea of it. Because Jesus, what's he been telling us that our one command is? To love one another. If you're in me, love one another. Love one another is the commandment. This is the new commandment I give you. I'm leaving, so love one another. And then Jesus says, the world hates you because you're not of them. You are in the vine. You are in me now. And you love one another because you're a part of me. We are, you're united to me. And we abide in his love even as the, uh, we, uh, the son is, abides in the father's love. 
And so we abide in the love of God and we love one another, united to Christ. He said, but, but you are no longer united to the world. The world loves its own. But you're not in that anymore. I've called you out of that. Your identity is in me. You are in the vine. You produce fruit. They don't. That's a big difference. And so Jesus tells the disciples that he's about to be put to death. They hate Jesus so much that they're going to put him to death. They're going to crucify him. And he says, now my faithful friends, what I want you to do is to love one another, carry out my message, go out into the world and tell people about me. Tell people about uh, my gospel, my truth. Tell people that I am the Savior. Tell people that they can be forgiven of their sins. You're going to be empowered by the, my com the Comforter. But remember, you're going to be telling the message of a man that was so hated that, they were, that he was put to death. A message that I, a message about me, telling the world to follow me, and the world hates me so much that they're going to kill me. Don't be surprised, therefore, when they don't like your message. Don't be surprised if you don't have people falling all over to love you. Don't be shocked when they treat you talking about me just like they treated me. Jesus is saying it's not about you so much is it's about me. And so you're going to be following me. You're going to be talking about me. You're going to be preaching about me. And the more that you do, the more the light is going to be shined, the more they'll be convicted. And the natural man, the carnal mind, is enmity against God. The world, without the love of God, just really despises him. And it's not so much even that they might actively say that. And for many people, it might just they just don't like to think about God. And you know that. You might have been at work or, or with a family member, and you, you bring up the Bible, and you can just see them start squirming, and you can just, and you, they, they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to, to be reminded of, of, of that. They, they would prefer just to stay in the darkness about things. Well, don't be surprised by that. Jesus tells us we are just to expect that. Why? Because we are different. God has put us in him. We, we are, we're different. Without God's love, we would just be left with hatred and variance. In Titus 3.3 it says, We ourselves were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, deserving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul said that that's the way we used to be. And I guess it just depends on when the Lord saved you, but you, you, if you can remember life before the Lord saved you, you can remember not caring about Christ, living in to serve pleasure, hatefulness, envy, hating one another. That's just the way the people are. Because they're devoid of the love of Christ. Remember what Jesus said, that we abide in him, and we abide in his love, in the Father's love, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So this is the fruit of the Spirit producing a love in us, that we would love God and love his things, because without that, we would be devoid of that love. We would be devoid of that fruit of love of the Spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised that people don't love Jesus um, because 
the, the natural man is, has uh, an enmity towards God and his things. We love him because he first loved us, not because we're better or superior. And so if we love him because he first loved us, and our love for him is the fruit of his love for us, then it makes sense that people that doesn't, don't have that um, life in Christ and the vine don't have the fruit of the Spirit. So don't be surprised, Jesus says. The love of the world has a love for itself. Um, I was reading um, about, about the, the chemical reactions of the body produces when we like something or something we do something we enjoy. It was really kind of amazing. It was a, a, a scientific uh, website um, and they said that there's certain things that happen in your brain when you see somebody familiar. So if you're downtown and you saw a friend that you hadn't seen in 10 years and you saw him walking towards you and you recognized him, and he smiles at you because he recognizes you, something happens in your brain, and there's a chemical release that, that just gives us joy in our, in our mind. Um, same thing with romantic love, love for your children. A, a mother actually breastfeeding her baby produces chemicals in her, in, in her that, that uh, produce this uh, sort of a joy um, chemically. Well, that's natural affection. And the article I read said, well, this is just an evolutionary means of getting people to, uh, to reproduce. <clears throat> well, no. What this is is the way that God created us. God created us to love one another. God created us to love him and to love one another. And he created us in such a way that obeying him produces joy in our own hearts and our own life. That our bodies, our, our physical bodies, um, produce chemicals in our minds that, that give us good feelings naturally when we, when we love someone or when we see someone that we love or when we're around people. So isn't that good of God to say, I'm going to create you and design you in a way that whenever you obey me, then, um, then the body that I give you will, will cause you to, to want to continue to do that. That we have joy in obeying God, naturally. Well, what happens when we fell in Adam, those chemicals are still there in our brains, but we pursue them in different ways. So instead of pursuing your spouse in marriage as God intended, people pursue just the feelings apart from biblical marriage. And they pursue other pleasures other than that of loving one another, but it turns inward and turns selfish. And so what's the point of this? Well, the point of this is, why, do the, why does the world love? I'm not saying that people don't love things, but, but generally speaking, why do we, we love, generally? Well, we love what brings us pleasure. We love... Our family, and I'm not saying that's bad I'm, or anything such as that. It's good. And I'm not even saying it's not true love. My mom loved me and was a good mother to me before the Lord saved her. And, and so I'm not saying that mothers don't love their children. They do. I'm just saying that's a natural, a natural affection of, that God has put in us. 
But she loved me. She didn't love every little baby in South Shore, Kentucky. Uh, there's a there's a carnal love. There's a self-serving love. There's a love among common interests: books, sports, hobbies, hunting, gardening, politics. People can love one side or the other, and love everybody on the one side and hate everybody on the other side. There's word, love, and friendship around association. But this is the kind of love that's based on self-love. So that's what Jesus said: the world would love his own. So they, there is a world, but it's we love our own. We love the people who think like us and act like us and walk like us. He says, so don't be surprised if the world hates you because you're not like them anymore. I've called you out of that, and now you're going to be opposed to that. Um, I read something interesting the other day. It was a, Peter Hitchens wrote this about the metric system. He said the metric system was part of the French Revolution and probably the nasty bit of the French Revolution. The Paris rabble-rousers wished to wipe out all the landmarks of life before they took over so that nobody could remember or wonder if times had, in fact, once been better. It was a cruel process. They killed anyone who got in their way, slicing off heads and drowning them by the hundreds. They desecrated churches, sometimes getting prostitutes to dance on their altars. They abolished the old French countries or counties, replacing them with numbered departments. They declared that the world had begun again. They renumbered the years and tried to decimalize time, and this failed. But only because people hated 10-day weeks in which they got even less rest than before, and because the laws of the universe which govern the rotation of the earth and the orbits of the planets cannot neatly be measured in tens. So here in the French Revolution, they were going to rebirth, renew the earth. And so they, they tried to destroy everything that was good and that was right. And it sounds eerily similar today. They got people to desecrate churches and they infiltrated churches and, and tried to tear down long-standing traditions and understandings. And they did this, tried to do the numbering. So that instead of a seven-day work week, they said, well, okay, we're going to have a ten-day work week. We're going to make everything according to the decimal system because that's a lot easier to calculate than sevens. He went on to say the fascinating thing about these changes is the hissing, the blind rage and the contempt which you meet if you try to suggest there was anything good about what was lost. In the last week on social media, I've been ridiculed, sworn at, generally scorned for saying that I hope the government will do its promise and stop trying to suppress our lovely customary weights and measures because over there they're trying to get everybody decimals or metric system all the time. And he concluded by saying, I don't want to stop anybody from using the metric measures if they want to. I'm not like my opponents who hate the measures and love and want them to be forgotten and buried in the museum. I simply wish to end the effort to stamp out something which I regard as poetic and polished in use, like the old tools I inherited from my father and my grandfather. And above all, human being based on the human body rather than some invented bureaucratic scale. Let me keep my pounds and my ounces, my pints and my gallons, and you can keep your liters and meters and kilograms. Now, it's kind of a silly example, but it, it, it proves sort of what I'm talking about here, that it's not just about the metric system, but any difference of opinion has to be squashed. There is no grace... There's only conformity in everything. 
you can't agree to disagree on even minor things like the decimal system. But there has to be complete and utter conformity. And if there's not, then you're persecuted. You can't, you can't say who you voted for out loud in some places or where people will get mad and start a fight. Um, we went to, when we went to Mount Rushmore last year, somebody said something about Donald Trump and his wife grabbed a hold of him and he went, shh, be quiet. And, and why? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't going around campaigning for him. He just mentioned him. But she, was, but she knew that that would, was potentially uh, going to start a fight with somebody. Because there was just, no, there's no, if you are outside of the camp, if you have a disagreement, then people hate you on everything. Now, what happens when we're talking about eternal matters? We are not in the world anymore. We're, Lord has saved us out of the world. And now, any deviation from the standard of the world will, will be hated. So take it back to this pride thing. Um, I know people 30 years ago who would have laughed if you would have told them they would have publicly supported homosexuality. They would have called you a liar. But now, they're all rainbows and affirming and, and everything else, such as that. Why? What happened? Well, in some cases that I know, their child's a homosexual. And so what they want is their child be happy. They want them to have a fulfilling life. They want them to, to live a happy life. But because they're outside of Christ and naturally contrary to him, they don't understand what the Bible says about it. They don't care what the Bible says about it. And for me to say that's wrong, and for me to say it's an abomination, they get angry. Why? Because they say, well, you're opposing my child and what my child wants and what my child desires. You're trying to keep my child from being happy. All you're doing is, is being hateful and all you're doing is being mean, which is nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I would want their child to live a happy, fulfilling life as well. The only thing is, is I know what the Bible says about that particular sin and what it does to people and how it destroys people. And so to say the Bible says that's wrong is for Christ to shine the light of his holiness upon their, their sin and expose them. And they get angry because they just want to be left alone in the darkness. And they don't want to hear it, and they close their eyes up. And, and the more that you tell them, that, the, the more that they don't want to hear it, and the angrier they become. And so now we have a whole world who is wrapped up in perversity and thinking that they are on the side of tolerance and on the side of love and on the side of compassion. And it is those who follow Christ who are mean and hateful and bitter and only want bad things to happen. And so you have false shepherds who come along with affirming churches. And, and churches, the, church, the national church in Washington, D.C., uh, draped in rainbows. Now, they, you have natural, uh, you have people of the world infiltrating churches and saying, well, it's just those fundamentalists who, who um, don't understand Paul and those fundamentalists who hate the, the things of God. And you see, because we are not of the world, we're outside of them. We don't go along with what they say and what they think. Then they naturally um, oppose us and, and, and hate us. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3. 
Um, starting in verse number 1, 2 Timothy 3. It says, Know also, or this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Well, sure, they love, but it's themselves. Not God, not one another, themselves. Covetous, boasters, proud. Blasphemers, disobedient, parent to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. See, this is what Jesus was describing. He said, this is what's going to happen. You're going out into a world that loves themselves, who are proud, who, who are without the natural affections that God has given them, who become fierce, despise the things that are good because they are the things of God, and love pleasure more than lovers of God. And you're going to go and tell them to give up their pleasures, and their pleasures are wicked, that they need to love one another instead of being despisers of, of, and fierce with one another. They are to love their children and to love their spouses. They are to love their neighbors and love their God. And what do you think is going to happen? They're not going to want to hear it. And Christ said, they are going to persecute you because they first hated me. It's not because that we're better or we're smarter. It's because we are new creatures in Christ and the old things passed away and, the, and behold, all things have become new. He's changed us. And he's changed our hearts and our changed our minds and changed our opinions about things. God saves us out of wickedness. And if he hadn't done that, then we'd be right there with him. I would be right there with him. Like I said, some of my friends, um, people that I would have never imagined would have supported this stuff, right there, and without the power of Christ, I'd be right there with them. Because I would just go along with the world and what society has to say. But Jesus says, remember, the world hates you because you are in me. Jesus is telling them, if they persecuted you, or if they persecuted me, they'll do the same to you. We're all following in the wake of what Jesus did. So, you ever see out in the water, a big boat comes through, and it goes real fast, and you've got all these other little boats off to the side, and they're fishing or something. Somebody comes flying through right in between them, and then the weight comes after them, and then uh, the water's all disturbed. And, well, Jesus comes through. He shines the light on them. They, they, they hate him. They despise him, and they, they, they crucify him. Well, we follow after the Lord Jesus, and we are following after what he has done, and, and as we follow our Lord uh, Jesus has shined the light upon the, the world. And, and he says, don't be surprised by following after me that the people uh, turn and they see you. They can't get their hands on me anymore, but they can't on you. The disciples were persecuted. In the book of Acts, chapters 3 and 4, they were threatened and imprisoned. Satan brings trouble from the inside with Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. Then they were troubled with fighting amongst themselves in chapter 6 about the money. And then chapter 7, 8, 9, go back to the persecution again with Saul of Tarsus. And then you read later on, you have more troubles from the inside, um, more fighting amongst themselves. 
more persecution. It's just a cycle. And that's how Satan attacks us. Don't be surprised when this happens. Because the hatred comes not from us, but it comes because they first hated Christ. The opposition Christians face is because uh, the world doesn't know the Father. And we do. But remember, the Father knows us. The enemy may seem big and strong and powerful, unstoppable, inevitable, but our Father loves us. That's what Jesus wants us to remember there, um, starting in verse 22, or 23 rather. They hate Christ because they hated the Father. But remember, this was fulfilled. This is written in the Word. Remember, the Father loves you. Remember, I love you. Remember, I'm telling you this before it happens so you'll know that it's happening. Remember, this is happening because you are in the right. The light and the glory of Christ stirred up their hatred for Christ and his work. And Paul said that um, persecution in Philippians 1.28 is an evident token of their perdition. But he says, but to you, salvation. Paul says, well, just look at it this way. If they persecute you for righteousness' sake, you know what that says? That's an that's that's evident token that they're in the wrong and an evident token that you're in the right. If they hate you for the gospel, that is a, a manifest token of their unrighteousness and a manifest token of your righteousness that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer in 2 Corinthians or 2 Thessalonians 1 5. Jesus said they hate you because you're in me. So what does that give you? That gives you a little bit of assurance, doesn't it? It gives you a little bit of comfort to think about that from that perspective. Don't say, oh, why do they hate me? Well, you know why. Don't say, I wish there was something I could do to make them like me. I need to, to lower my beliefs so that they'll like me. Well, that's not the truth. That won't happen. You know what will happen if you compromise your beliefs for somebody who hates you for your beliefs? They'll hate you even more for being a compromiser. They hate you now for following Christ. And if you compromise, then they'll hate you for being a, a, a compromiser. And then they'll call you a hypocrite. There's no winning here. Because it's not about you, right? You can't win this game because it's not about you, it's about Christ. So look at it from the other perspective. Why was Jesus telling us this? I've said it over and over again to comfort them. Jesus saying, don't be surprised when they hate you. Their hatred of you is because that you are in me. He keeps reminding them that because they are saved, because they have been delivered out of the world, because they are no longer in the world, they are out of that world system, that, that now they are in Christ. You have salvation. The Comforter will come, who is sent by Christ, who proceeds from the Father, and you will testify of Christ. You will be indwelt with, you're indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Comforter has come to teach you all things. The Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, is with you. This persecution will be a token, uh, an evidence that I am with you still and that you're on the right path. So 
look at it from that perspective. Step back and say, yeah, this world has got, lost its mind. This world despises the things that I love, despises the things that I believe in. And don't say, well, it's inevitable that all things are bad, that, that we're going to be destroyed and things, so, things like that. No, just stop and say, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, well, this is bound to happen because they hated him first. And then stop and say, yes, the, the governments are strong and the, the society is stronger and Hollywood and TV and mu music and movies, it's all, being, it's all crumbling around. But just stop and say, who is in control? My father is in control. Did this take Jesus by surprise? No, Jesus said it was going to happen. Did it take the father by surprise? No, the father said it was going to happen. Does it take the Holy Spirit by surprise? No, the Spirit comes and he is our comforter to, to, to point us to Christ. What does this persecution mean? Does it mean that I'm wrong? No, it means that you're in the right. It means the world hates what is not part of the world. It means that Jesus is faithful. It means that he won't forsake you. These 11 men were against the world. All looked darkness. Looked its darkest at the cross. Well, then Christ arose. And it went from 11 men here in the upper room so they were all scattered at the cross when Jesus died and was buried. And then he arose. Then we find in the book of Acts that that 11 was now 120. Then we read a little bit further, a couple, day, a couple weeks later, thousands, 11, 120,000. Just by telling people what the world had done. Well, the world hated it and they persecuted it and they, they, they threw them in jail and they outlawed it. And a little bit further you read, one was beheaded. And what happened? It grew. Their fruit remained as Jesus promised. And it spread. And there was persecution more. Um, people were set on fire. People were dressed in, in uh, lamb's clothes and thrown to the lions. Christians by the thousands were arrested and, and murdered and, and put on pikes and set on fire to light the, the city of Rome. And it grew and it spread and the, they testified of Jesus. And it, and, it, and it continued to grow and it continued to spread. The church did not end with that number. The gates of hell did not prevail against her because Jesus is faithful to his promise. Yes, the world is against us. Yes, from the highest seats of power they hate Christ. Yes, Countries and societies come together like never before and unified in their wicked plans. It seems that they are, that we are powerless. Remember what the scriptures say. Remember, he who is in the heavens laughs. The Lord looks down upon all, the, on all these people and all their, their plans and all the things that they're doing. The heathens are raging, the people imagine the vain thing. <coughs> He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The Father is with us. The Son is with us. The Spirit is with us. And Jesus said, you're on our side. You are in me. And they hate us. They hate the Trinity. 
so they're going to hate you too. But would you rather be on God's side or the side that you know is going to lose? Would you rather be on the side of the Almighty who we know has already wrought the victory? Or would you rather be on the losing side? So we are comforted here by Christ saying, I know what I know what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted because of me. But never fear. I have overcome the world. So don't get discouraged. I know it's heartbreaking. It breaks my heart to see these things. I get discouraged, but, but try not to get discouraged. Look to the Lord and understand what he did for us and what he's done for us and trust in him and know that you are on the right side in Christ, that, that you have the victory in Christ.